Hey, Grant. <laughs> What's up, man? How's it going? Uh, so I have quite a list of things to ask you uh, here for two primary reasons. One, I want to get you like on my podcast, just talk to you about crypto stuff, obviously, because mm-hmm. that's that's our jam. Um, also, I want to do a quick conversation about Infinity and what's going on with all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just so that way the people see what's going on. Uh, so they understand kind of where we're at. Mm-hmm. So if you want to start just for obviously everyone in the crypto room and in the infinity world is going to know who you are, but for the podcast world, they probably have never heard of you. Mm-hmm. So if you want to give me like a quick five minute introduction of like who you are, where you're from, how you got here. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Grant. Um, like Patrick said, I've been helping out with the infinity room maybe for like uh, maybe a year or so, maybe a little less than a year. Uh, but I originally come from a real estate background. So I've been in real estate since college, basically in commercial real estate and residential real estate. Now work in uh, title insurance and then kind of fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole a few years back. Uh, and just, I feel like you, Patrick, have a really obsessive nature with things and just was consuming all this information and got really excited about it. And uh, I think it was kind of like the last wave before it started really being like more mainstream before it was just kind of the whole NFTs and everything was talking about it, but I was kind of that one person that everyone knew that just like wouldn't shut up about Bitcoin. Yep. Uh, and then, so I think people kind of associated like, Oh yeah, Grant, he likes that Bitcoin thing. And then, so once, uh, once Bitcoin and I think cryptocurrency got a little bit more mainstream, I think that's when uh, opportunities like this started opening up where people were like, Hey, does anyone have a person that knows about, you know, Bitcoin? Uh, I think it was kind of a connection between that. And also the fact that, I like to think I came from it from like a genuine standpoint of just like being interested in this thing and not trying to, uh, you know, make a bunch of money really quick and stuff. And I think that kind of was mixed together where people were looking for someone that knew about it, that they could trust that wasn't just trying to push them something. So I ended up kind of going into, there was a trading group I helped with first called Valiant um, Trading. And that was the first time I did like a, a Bitcoin anything. And that was cool. It was like an eight week thing and just talk to people about like what it was, how it worked. Um, had to hold wallets and everything like that. And then, yeah, landed at Infinity and was doing that room for a while. Uh, and was part of like the Bitcoin meetup groups here in LA and helped with like event outreach and putting together some events and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and then so that's kind of how I ended up, I guess, at Infinity. You met Infinity through meetup groups? No, so I met Infinity or got connected through a personal friend here in San Pedro where I live. So I live in LA and uh, a family friend of mine is a part of Infinity. And then so Toby Mathis was basically like on Facebook saying, does anyone know someone that knows about cryptocurrency? And then she is close to Toby and said, yeah, I know this guy. He knows a lot about it and he's good at it. So I kind of got connected with Toby that way. Nice. Perfect. Yeah. It's funny how much, you know, in the business world, it's all, it's way more who you know than what you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously what you know matters, but if you don't have those connections, nothing ever happens. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. It's important. Uh, so I actually want to talk to you about a couple of things that are happening in like the last couple of days in the space. Uh, so the big one right now is this whole tornado, tornado cash thing. I don't know if you've uh, caught up on that. I think it just broke this morning or last night. That'd yeah, it's been a briefer, yeah. Yeah. So the tre- anyone who doesn't know that the uh, Treasury Department sanctioned, well, they, they technically didn't say, sanction it. They blacklisted it, but it's basically the same thing. Uh, this protocol called tornado cash, which is runs on Ethereum. And it's basically just like CoinJoin for uh, Bitcoin, whereas it just mixes a bunch of funds together, spits them all back out, and it provides anonymity so that way nobody knows whose coins are going where. And the reason why they sanctioned it, they um, cited a few things, but the big one was that a state-sponsored North Korean hacking group was using it to wash money through hacks. Uh, And I read a statistic that said in the last few months, whatever that means, uh, 18% of the revenue going through um tornado cash was from this group i don't really know how they figured that out since Mm -hmm. the whole tornado cash thing is supposed to hide all that but i read that somewhere i have a a few thoughts on it um and i guess i'll lead with them and you can you can hit it back afterwards but my first thought is if the whole point is to sanction this tool, I don't know how you sanction a smart contract to begin with, but it's to prevent the use of this tool from North Korean hackers. They don't care about US sanctions, clearly. 
So mm-hmm. how is it going to prevent them from stopping to use, <laughs> use something that's open source mm-hmm. and non-custodial? All it's going to do is prevent Americans really from using mm-hmm. it or any company or any individual who wants to associate with American business from using it. I don't, I don't really see how this is supposed to be effective mm-hmm. and it might just be one of those like knee jerk reaction kind of situations, but that's my initial take on it. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess I didn't see it that way, but it is true where like if, like you said, they already really don't care if they are being sanctioned, they're just going to find another way to kind of do what they're already doing. And there's a bunch of other protocols where they could probably just do that a little easier as well. And, right. uh, and that's where it's tough. I feel like when you're kind of in the cryptocurrency space, it's always easy to kind of find the somewhat like conspiratory angle on it, right? Of like, okay, could it be like using this as a way to kind of create this legislation that kind of serves as somewhat of like precedent, right? Where you have this precedent now of like, okay, we can shut down some of these protocols because we don't like the people that are using this seemingly like decentralized protocol, right? And once you kind of do it for a couple of things, it's just kind of that encroaching ability to just keep doing it with more and more things. And uh, I think the narrative's already there. Um, So I think that's interesting. I also saw how like, I didn't look into it too deeply, but I saw also how like Infura, was also kind of shutting things down because of it as well, right? That's kind of the the big like node hoster for a lot of Ethereum. Smart yeah, and so did Circle. Circle like froze a whole bunch of associated accounts. Yeah, which, I mean, I'm, I I think that there's a huge use case for um, stable coins in general, and you know, Circle being relatively well audited and all that stuff. At USDC is one of the one of the coins that I've recommended to people. But this kind of stuff is exactly why people were excited about the idea of having something like on the Luna protocol, which obviously mm-hmm. failed miserably, but having a decentralized algorithmic stablecoin has so much appeal because when you have a company that can freeze your accounts because Uncle Sam or just because they feel like it because anyone says so, that obviously kind of goes against like the ethos of, of the Bitcoin community. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think that's a tough part, right? Is like trying to find a solution of like, how do you create the technologies that like would enable some of those things. But I think so far, like you've said, like with Luna, all the potential solutions have just like failed miserably. So you're kind of stuck in this weird position where you either have these like potential solutions that end up kind of being like either just borderline scams or just like poorly constructed and are easy to game. Or then you have like the centrally controlled solutions, which are just like a Coinbase uh, stable coin or basically trusting a custodial a custodian again. And then you kind of have, I guess, Bitcoin in the middle, which I guess is somewhat of like this index stock for like all of crypto that can somewhat be like a stable coin for people. Because at least like it's not going to get taken or shut down. But then like if you actually need your money on a day to day basis, right, Bitcoin might not be the best for that. Like I remember seeing Alex Gladstein had a bunch of stuff on how much people were using Tether in certain countries where like their currencies were basically like collapsing under them. And ideally you think Bitcoin is like the move in those situations ahead of time, but unfortunately it's just not stable enough, right? For many people to really like bank on it yet. So and that's kind of the tough part where it's like that balance between like the promises, of, I think of a lot of the cryptocurrencies, but then the reality of where they're at, I think sometimes those two don't necessarily mesh together. Mm-hmm. Like seeing the promise versus like what's happening now. And uh, yeah, so I guess it's kind of, Strange to see it play out, but also like at the same time, really bizarre to see like how big of a stage it's on now as well. I think that's something that like I fail to like remember a lot of the time is the fact that this is kind of the news of what's happening with cryptocurrency and and whatever it is. Right. It's kind of beyond what I could have imagined, like when I first got into it a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, even only like six or nine months ago, it felt like Bitcoin was still like in the either in the back of everyone's mind or they hadn't even thought about it, especially when it comes to like regulation and all that other mm-hmm. before I would say before before El Salvador, uh, nobody was talking about it. So El Salvador is a little over a year now. And I mean, now politicians are talking about it left and right. It's on mainstream media all the time. As a matter of fact, there's a, a bill on the floor right now. Uh, I forget who who put it forward, but it's bipartisan. It's one Democrat, one Republican put it forward together. And it includes a $50 exemption for Bitcoin transactions. So that way you're not taxed on capital gains. Hmm. And I actually want to ask you about that too. Um, I'll let you go first on this one because I, I went first last time. Yeah, gotta be fair. I, I went to kindergarten. Thank you. Okay. So what, uh, in, in terms of what the, the bill that's going on right now? Yeah. So I don't, I don't have all the information about the bill. So I obviously 
I'm not going to ask you all those questions, but specifically in the bill, there is an exemption for $50 or less. If you buy something with, like if you go to the store Mm. and you buy milk and and eggs with Bitcoin, it's not a capital gains situation because it's less than $50. Anything over $50, you'd get charged capital gains, which is why Mm. Bitcoin is such a terrible currency right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the layer one limitations is a big part of it. Lightning is hopefully, Lightning and Liquid are fixing that hopefully. Um, but also every time you buy something, you're going to have to pay, you know, 30% capital gains, which is terrible. Uh, so hopefully this bill starts to address that. Yeah. I think that's like the tricky part too, is like seeing like at what point are people even actually being able to use it like in a more frequent use? Cause it seems like right now it's still like very like niche, right. In terms of like, how do, how do I go about spending some of the Bitcoin that I have? Um, cause I can go to like bit refill and buy like basically gift cards, which I think right now is probably like the main way if I was going to do it, like say I was going to live off Bitcoin fully, that's probably what I would do. And that would be helpful for sure, right? If I had all this Bitcoin maybe that I bought in, you know, 2012 and I was sitting on it and that was basically like my main form of money, that'd be great because, you know, I could just basically buy all my groceries with Bitcoin on BitRefill and just do Instacart and all these things. Uh, but I still think there's that big disconnect between like the people that are within Bitcoin and, and see like what they view it as and how excited they are about it versus the average person that you said has like Bitcoin in the back of their head or has had it in the back of their mind, but hasn't really spent the time to like deep dive in on it. And they're mostly just like, oh yeah, it's like kind of like that stock thing and you can like buy some of it and hold it and stuff. And I think that's where there's like, at least for me sometimes, and I think that's what was helpful about stepping back from the crypto space for a little bit was seeing some of like how big of a gap that still might be like between the people that are just like hearing Bitcoin on Fox news, like the financial channel every now and then versus people that are just like fully invested in super deep into it. So I think that's where uh, I think sometimes like the legislation can seem like maybe it's like political political points, you know, because it's maybe not necessarily like the, the biggest step in terms of like a direction of where it can go or like education or anything. But I think it's also a matter of like the politicians themselves not really necessarily like wrapping their heads around what Bitcoin is and, and what it could be and how it could impact, you know, the people in whatever districts that they're representing. Right, right. No, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think so. I definitely think it's a step in the right direction. Um, my biggest concern is that it's a $50 limit. Like you can't even let's say the entire world started accepting lightning payments tomorrow. But yeah, you can go buy milk and bread with 50 bucks, but most people can't fill up their gas tank right now with 50 bucks. You can't, mm-hmm. I can't take my girl out to dinner with 50 bucks. Yeah. I, can, I can't take the kids to a movie with 50 bucks. So it has a lot of limitations. I think that number should be somewhat more reasonable. Um, especially considering that most of the people who have Bitcoin right now are people who are, uh, who have, um, what's the word disposable income, right? Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. it's so volatile and, and it's mm-hmm. considered to be risky that, you know, people who are real tight on their money usually aren't wasting their money trying this new fake internet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I absolutely understand. And, and back to what you were saying about the volatility, I think that'll all smooth itself out once the market cap, I mean, right now we're only at $400 billion compared to gold, which is like 11 trillion or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's 20, ish 20x from where we're at right now once we get there i think that volatility will will slow down quite a bit and Mm -hmm. once once it's not so volatile more businesses will be willing to accept it more people will be willing to spend it because you're not worried about it going up 20 percent tomorrow i don't want to spend it or going down 20 percent tomorrow i don't want to accept it yeah so i think those things will happen uh but i do think i don't know if this bill will pass or not but i do think it's a step in the right direction and i think it'll easy easily be amended in the future mm-hmm. to a more reasonable number, especially if people start using it because they'll complain about it. Big time. Um, and I still think that's like another thing, I guess you made me think of it where it's like, uh, like say even it was like you could spend it anywhere. I still think it's almost like one of those situations where it's going to take like people like being forced to use it, not necessarily like by someone else, but more so a complete shakeup of like how the financial system operates for all of us like if things continue on this trajectory of just like rampant inflation or whatever it is to actually be forced to like make a change because i guess i was thinking the other day about it where like it's not necessarily like a comfortable process like learning about bitcoin because like one you have to like kind of feel stupid for a while in terms of like all this new concepts that you're like i don't understand what a hash algorithm is and 
what a hardware wallet is and but then also some of like the uncomfortable truths about like your own system that you've lived in for a while so i think that's like that's a tough part it's just like the yeah that like getting people to actually like embrace that change and spend the time on it so uh, i think legislation helps you know for sure at, at least like if you're in the bitcoin circle like you said where you benefit from not only like the disposable income but also just like you benefit from at least if you're in the u.s like being somewhat of like a weird person that like enjoys just like inducing suffering on yourself in terms of like having to learn all this new stuff yeah you know? and, you know, but uh yeah it'll be interesting to see that actually fits really well with one of the questions i wrote down for you um so i feel like you and i are both the kind of the kind of guys who i mean we did right we we heard about this crazy bitcoin thing we mm -hmm. went down the rabbit hole and we just kept digging and we're still digging mm -hmm. uh so a lot of that because of the because of how bitcoin exists in the world that's all got to be self-education. It's not like mm -hmm. there's a high school class for it or a college class. I mean, there probably is by this point. There's probably mm -hmm. a, some crypto classes yeah. out there, um, but it's not very accessible. So you, you have to do it through YouTube, through Medium, mm -hmm. through podcasts, talking to people. I know you mentioned going to meetups, which is a great idea. Um, so if you could talk to me about the role uh, that self-education played in your journey and also why did you try to take that education that you developed for yourself and hand it out to other people, you know, through the meetup groups, through infinity, through the, instead of just letting them figure it out on its own, like, why was that a thing you chose to do? Mm. Yeah, that's a cool question. I guess the, so the first in terms of like self learning, cause that's what you said, right? Like, why did I choose the self learning? Is that what? Um, sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, just, just how, how the process of self learning oh, gotcha. works for you. And cause I mean, some people, find a thing and they just have to like tinker with it until they figure yeah. it out. And some people aren't like that. Um, so maybe what was it about this specific thing that drove you mm -hmm. to just like keep digging? Cause some people hear about Bitcoin for the first five minutes and like, okay, I, I get it. That's, that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. And other people spend years like with that, with that shovel. Yeah. I guess for me, it was like, I think uh, like right place at the right time where I was just, uh, I guess I've always kind of really been into like political history. I think that's been a big thing I've always really liked and like was at a time where I was reading a bunch of kind of like darker political books, like the Gulag Archipelago and all these kinds of things. And so it's kind of in that mindset already of just like seeing kind of the historical trends of governments and what they can do and kind of that like balance between governments and individual freedoms and, and things like that. And uh, I always just enjoy, I guess, thinking like big picture, like change, I think is something I've really enjoyed a lot. And then I remember just kind of, I think I've told you just watching like a documentary on it one night about like uh, cryptocurrency and then seeing kind of obviously just the change and not only just like, uh, you know, how we, how money is working and the digital trends with that, but then kind of the political changes that I was just seeing in the world around me and then seeing kind of those two really connect in a cool place. And I guess it was exciting for me because I feel like there's always going to be like this big thing generationally that like that, uh, changes things whether it was like the internet or computers or the personal computers or cars whatever it is and realizing that like okay i'm not a i'm not standing outside of history looking at history but i'm like obviously a part of it too so what are the things around me that are those things that people in the future will look at like ordinary things like cars uh and so i just was really excited because i just was kind of convinced like okay this is that thing i think that like is will be just ordinary down the road but is not normal and scary now um and then so that self learning journey for me has always been more comfortable just because i've just i think my whole life always just spent a lot of time on my own on youtube and like learning about things and kind of geeking out on like these niche subjects and i've always been the type to get like really excited about things and like want to share it with everybody i guess that's just like been my personality i think probably a lot of people are like that but um so i think that self-learning journey for me was like really fun because it was something I was a little bit more comfortable with. And I think the most important thing, like you said, was finding like people that you can also like connect with, not only to like share what you're learning, but learn from as well. And like, not be afraid to like ask what you might consider like dumb questions at the time, because I was like able to find somebody that knew a lot about Bitcoin and had had been into Bitcoin for a long time before that. And he was able to just like meet with me and I'd ask him questions and, um, uh, and I think the big part too is just like uh, kind of going through these periods of just like doubt, like consistently and just like trying to like find what was wrong with it and trying to break it. So I think it's kind of a little bit of that hacker mindset or, or I guess a cynic mindset of wanting to find like what's wrong with something and break it down. And I guess just being humbled by Bitcoin of like, okay, I can't really find what that thing is. Um, but I guess in terms of why I wanted to 
share it with other people. I think it was, I think it just seemed like something that, or at least when I learned about, about Bitcoin, it was most like you have to learn about kind of like the existing financial system in a way. Um, and I think where I got really passionate was because I saw like, okay, I, I was in a totally fine situation financially. Like I didn't have to worry anything, but my parents both worked really hard. Uh, but seeing like, I guess the way inflation really does like impact all of us, even if we're still like in a pretty solid financial situation, but seeing like just the amount of time they've put of working hard and saving money and seeing that kind of taken from them. I think I was just really impassioned to like share this. So like, Hey, this something like isn't right in the way that things are operating. And here's maybe like a way we could like opt out and do something different. So I think I've always been a fan of being able to think like outside the box and try some like radical change, I guess. And, um, I guess was excited to be able to share that. Nice. I like that. That's a great answer. Isn't it crazy how much Bitcoin makes you learn about other stuff? Like mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, or at least you wouldn't think mm -hmm. it does, but it really does. Bitcoin yeah. touches everything. I'm actually in the middle of writing an article about that, about all the like the weird things that Bitcoin has taught me. But maybe I should make it into a podcast. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I think there's a book similar to that too, but I think everyone's will be unique, like this version of it, but it's called, uh, I think, 21 Lessons from Falling Down the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole. Oh, but nice. I think that's what's cool is like everyone will have their own like angle on it and their own things they took away from it. I think which yeah. would be really cool. Like they think there's some shared things like there is like that religious aspect of Bitcoin that exists. Yeah. But there's also that unique thing that everyone will have and bring to the table. All right. So we've danced around it a little bit, but we haven't spoken about it outright, at least not since we've been recording. Um, for anyone who isn't already aware as Grant mentioned, he's been doing the crypto room with Infinity Investing for the last year or so, and he's uh, moving on to new and exciting things. And so I'm going to be taking over. And uh, in in that light, do you have any advice for me as I try to fill your big old shoes? Yeah, I think that was like um, something I think I underestimated a little bit was like kind of the the planning out of the rooms. I think was a big thing in hindsight for me was. Cause there's all this information of like, okay, how do I try to give information that's valuable to people and that they also find interesting? Cause there's a balance, right? If I just like do class about super dry, like Bitcoin fundamental stuff to try to explain to people, which is important, but they're just bored out of their minds, then no one's going to listen. So I think, I guess, balancing those two things of like giving information that's actually going to help people in their own understanding to ideally the point where the rooms are maybe an area they like to come in and discuss things, but isn't necessarily a space they need to rely on for like learning because you've equipped them with the skills to like learn on their own and start to tinker on their own, I think, which is like a really cool thing. But um, I think kind of like coming up with like a, I guess a structure is really helpful. And I think that's sometimes where like I didn't do a great job of because I think I hopped around a lot of different areas and then it's kind of tough because uh, people didn't necessarily maybe know what to expect each week of what it was. And uh, so I guess maybe not giving some of the ideas that I had enough runway to really like see how they would take off because it's kind of like a isolating space to be in a little bit because you're just kind of sitting behind this computer and a lot of the people aren't necessarily engaging with you. So you don't know if they're just sitting there and just like tuning you out or if they actually like it, you're not getting the active feedback. So I think the toughest part is just kind of like trusting yourself and trusting like that if you just stick with this one thing and keep developing this idea or plan or structure, whatever you've kind of stuck with that it'll eventually start to click for people. And I think that's an area that I like struggle with. And a lot of the times didn't really do a good job of, cause I was like, Oh God, I think people hated that. I'm going to do something different next week or do something different. And uh, yeah, I think it's, that's probably the biggest advice I'd have for you. Cause otherwise I think like you're, you're like, you're going to be incredible at it because I think like you're super passionate about it and I think do have like really cool insights on things and can look really cool, big picture. But I think that'll be just like, if anything, the only challenge is like, okay, how do I actually just like take all this stuff in my head and put it into like English and where like it, it's kind of this linear thing that people can follow. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally get the point. That's one of the things I'm worried about is, you know, more or less meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to do when you can't see them. And you know, like 80% of human communication is body language of some mm -hmm. variety. So, and, <laughs> you don't have, you don't have a picture. You don't have, you know, all you have is a chat box. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if, if you want a little bit of a sneak peek of like what I'm planning, what I think I want to do, I don't know if you've ever been in any of the other rooms that infinity mm -hmm. does, but like the real estate room that they do, uh, Nicole and Aaron usually do it. It's, it's not really structured. It's more of a, like a Q and a, 
Mm. And I mean, these are titans of their industry, so yeah. you know they can wing it and just do fine. Um, and people people bring them deals or people bring them situations and ask them questions, so they get the feedback that they're looking for in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think that what I want to do is something uh, where the room is based on that, and depending on how much interaction that gets, because that way that way people can ask me what's on their mind, uh, mm-hmm. and then. You know, hopefully when they leave the room, they feel like that they got what they were looking for out of the room. Mm-hmm. And at least until the size of the room gets bigger, then then can accommodate that for it. But I think for the beginning, that'll be fine. And I know people will ask me about some obscure altcoin that I don't know anything about. And then I'll just drop down a, a screen share and I'll be like, well, if I was going to research this coin, I'd go here, mm-hmm. go here, go here. I'd look at this. Oh, the tokenomics aren't good here. Oh, look at this, you know, market cap. Look at this, look at this, look at this and kind of set them on a path. Mm-hmm. Um, teach them how to fish, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping for. But in order to get that going, I'm going to need to develop some sort of uh, feedback mechanism, you know, through social mm-hmm. media, maybe. Or and honestly, this this conversation with you is the first step of that. Hopefully, uh, we can push this out. People can see it, and they'll get an idea of like where we're going and 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 what things are going to look like, and then maybe give us some. Uh, I don't know if I can do like a survey or mm-hmm. an email or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, and then, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, and 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 then to complement the the monthly room because again, once a month isn't a lot of time to talk about stuff, especially with how fast everything changes. Uh, to complement that, I'll do standalone videos where I don't have an audience, a live audience, mm-hmm. and that'll be more of like the fundamentals. And because I mean, I remember you. I mean, you you taught people how to you know do hardware wallets like three or four times. Um, so if I get a recording where, you know, I show them hardware wallets and then when someone asks in it three months, I want to meet them where they're at, but the other people in the room have already seen it. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I can just drop a link. Um, yep. So hopefully that, that'll be how it works out. And if the room gets kind of stale, there's always, I mean, again, doing it only once a month, there's always ample news. So I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of take that play from your playbook and just kind of go over, you know, like we're talking about today, like, you know, tornado and, mm-hmm. um, that that bill. Uh, the other one I want to talk to you about, if you want to jump into it real quick, is uh, this whole um, partnership between BlackRock and Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten that one yet? Yeah, I saw that one. And you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's like hard to tell. I think with some of like the news now too, where I think uh, I think before I think Bitcoin was really mainstream. I think news like that just kind of like hit like like a meteor basically. And just like the market reacted so strongly to it. Like I remember when uh, Tesla first, or I think Paul Tudor Jones was like the first big one. I remember yeah. where he announced he's buying Bitcoin. And I remember Bitcoin just like took off. And then I remember Elon, or might've been MicroStrategy next. I think MicroStrategy was next. And once again, Bitcoin just like took off. And then I remember Elon or Tesla said they're going to start buying Bitcoin. And then that was, I think when it really went up to like 50,000 or something like that. And I remember news like that would just like really have an impact now. And like you, you would imagine like something like BlackRock and Coinbase, like BlackRock being one of the biggest like asset, asset managers in the world. And then Coinbase being like the biggest exchange would have a bigger impact. And so I don't know if it's necessarily like people just being more used to, and it might be a good sign where like now, if anything, people would just like assume like, oh yeah, of course, like it's now becoming this like big financial asset in a way. Um, and I think that's maybe kind of what could be happening where news like this necessarily isn't like out of the ordinary or shocking for people that are maybe just like watching Bitcoin. But I do think also that kind of plays into the idea of there still is like a little bit of a divide between somewhat of like financial education for most people where unfortunately the people that might benefit from Bitcoin the most aren't going to be the people that are going to like maybe understand or learn about Bitcoin because like you kind of mentioned with like people that could buy Bitcoin are going to be the people with disposable income. And I think the same is true of learning about Bitcoin. It's the people with disposable time to like actually take the time to learn about it. And so that's where there's kind of that unfortunate scenario where a billionaire that may might have his assets at BlackRock can just pay a guy to come in and give him this like full breakdown of Bitcoin and explain it to him and mm-hmm. versus most people won't have that. So it is kind of, I feel like exciting in one branch to see like, okay, yeah, it is getting that more financial mainstream adoption, but also too, it's kind of unfortunate where it does see maybe going that trend where yeah, the people that can benefit the most might miss out the most. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that um, there's a, there's a definite correlation between having skin in the game and how much you're 
uh, excited about learning about it. So mm -hmm. when I, you know, pull people aside and we have a little Bitcoin bro talk, um, you know, at the end of that talk, I'm always like, I don't know what you can afford. I don't know if it's 10 bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever you can afford, like that it doesn't matter to you, whatever, whatever that is really doesn't, you could go play craps with it. That doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Go buy it. Because once you have it, you're going to start watching it. Once you yeah, start true. watching it, you're going to start asking questions and then you're going to start digging your own rabbit hole and you'll, you'll, but if you never buy that first Satoshi, you're just going to, you know, not really think about it and time's going to go by. And next thing you know, it's, you know, 2040 and you've missed the bus. So mm -hmm. the one thing about missing the bus though, I will say is Bitcoin is uniquely positioned such that nobody can miss the bus mm -hmm. because even if all you know all the block rewards are gone which everyone everyone here will be dead by then but and all of the like exponential growth is gone as far as like appreciation is concerned the market has evened out it's now you know a global reserve asset it's like it's at the end of its growth cycle now it just is mm -hmm. it's still going to retain value and be better for you even if you're the last person to get on the network than the system you're in right now mm -hmm. just yeah. because you're 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 hard-earned value will retain its value it won't lose value mm -hmm. so i mean as long yeah. as we keep making babies that'll be true <laughs> yeah or yeah, as long as gdp goes up that's true and i kind of going back to what you said too about uh yeah the skin in the game because i think that was another like eye-opener for me where uh because once you have money in it and then you start to see like the price fluctuations and then you see it have a mini death in a way right where like it maybe there's this big crash um or then you do see like I guess you kind of see like, uh, I guess the waves in attention, right? Whether it's like the the media kind of hyping like the crash and the price of Bitcoin and then it quietly just like climbing back up and whatever it is. Um, and you start to be able to kind of like learn from those experiences, whether it is like you said, like 10 bucks, at least you're watching that 10 bucks and you can learn just from that. And I was kind of thinking back to where I was, I feel like just like obsessing over everything, over the crypto space and Bitcoin. And you do end up kind of gaining this like cool instinct or instinct for kind of like these these movements in like the price of Bitcoin in general. Like I remember when it first finally broke out uh, above $10,000 and was really started rallying back upwards to $20,000. And I remember like up in that week, for example, I remember just like having this like gut feeling just of like watching the price over and over and over. of being like, I really think it's going to start to break out here. Like all the the macro tailwinds are there and the, and the momentum's there. And I remember like telling people in my life, like telling my friends, I'm like, because they were on the fence about Bitcoin. And then I remember being like, I think this is a time like now if you're going to be buying Bitcoin to buy some and then sure enough, it hit. But obviously, like it does, I think, benefit from having a lot of time to just like consistently watch this thing that you're interested in. But uh, but I think like for most people, it might just be maybe that thing that they could just like have on auto buy on like cash app or Coinbase and just buy 20 bucks a week and just sacrifice like eating out once and putting something in Bitcoin that you could invest in, treat that like a 401k or whatever it is. But I think it's, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's just like, and a lot of people in the Bitcoin space, I think have talked about it, but it is just kind of this like pervasive wave of just maybe not even necessarily short-term thinking, but somewhat of just kind of like this, like overarching, like despair, I think sometimes of like looking at like what's going around and like, not even necessarily like thinking long-term and big picture and thinking like bigger than yourself. And maybe, yeah, maybe I missed the boat on, and people can say like, I missed the boat on Bitcoin that buying it in 2010, so it's not worth buying it anymore, right? Because I'm not going to be rich instead of thinking of it as like, okay, well, I can still buy maybe just a little bit of Bitcoin. And then for my kids, you know, that'll be a lot of Bitcoin and for their kids, kids, a lot of Bitcoin versus like some person that might just like buy one house, right? And that one house can set their kids up in a better position and another, a better position for their kids. Um, so I think that's what's beautiful about Bitcoin for me is there's just kind of this like collection of you have the financial aspect to it, which is really cool. You have the political aspect to it, but then you just have this like cultural aspect where it's kind of connecting to things. I think a lot of the people in the Bitcoin space say of kind of just the, I guess what, what could happen when you have like a society, which is just so uh, used to just like easy money, right. Or things being easy, instant gratification. All we have to do is push this button and the pain goes away of, uh, whatever it is, right? We don't have to worry about socks going down because we just press this button or I don't have to worry about maybe like working a little bit harder because I can just, you know, go on my phone and get instant hits of these things. Um, but hopefully, obviously, because long-term, that's not something that leads to anything good. So I think that's where 
personality wise, I think that's why I think Bitcoin is beautiful too, because of that, right? It's kind of touching on these very like human aspects that like going back to earlier are somewhat uncomfortable maybe to wrestle with as well, of like looking at the way that we live and we operate, but something that growing up in the US, we don't have to think about as much, right? But in these harsher realities that exist out there, I think that's where Bitcoin is going to be impactful to the people that will benefit from it, right? Because I think that's what we're seeing now. Like the people that can and need to use Bitcoin will use Bitcoin. And those are the people that need it the most versus most people in the US don't, you know? Yeah. And it really does uh, push us towards a system of, of different um, incentives. So, I mean, right now, the way our system works, because your money loses value, it's better to spend your money now than it is later, because later it's worth less. And so therefore, our economy runs on credit almost entirely. I mean, not entirely, but pretty close. Uh, you know, we have a whole a whole system, you know, called buy now, pay later. Like it's mm-hmm. very in your face, um, which takes a lot away from like personal fiscal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that Bitcoin goes a long way to start nudging people back in that direction of, um, you know, financial sovereignty and uh, personal responsibility with their money. And, and it's because in the current system, having a lot of um, frugality doesn't help you unless you are either smart enough or educated enough to do something with it, to turn it into an investment that's going to beat inflation, which is hard to do. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the time to learn all that, you're just going to end up finding some scam artist who's going to take it from you. And that's mm-hmm. scary. But with Bitcoin, Bitcoin's an asset that anyone can buy for any amount. I mean, you know, I think it's like 3,500 Satoshis for a dollar right now. So you can start with a dollar, literally buy it on the lightning network. It's free. And you know, if, if it goes where you and I think it's going, that 3,500 Satoshis is going to increase in purchasing power forever, which encourages people to think in a long-term like time frame and to think about savings. And I think I've probably said this to you before, uh, you know, Robinhood gets a lot of crap for a lot of things that they have going on. But one of the things that they did for the world, which I really appreciate, is they enabled people to invest with very, very little money. Pre-Robinhood, Every time you wanted to buy a stock, you know, at minimum, I think Trade King was the cheapest and you're paying $7.99 per trade. And, you know, some of the more expensive ones were like $15 a trade. And also you can do fractional shares and all that other stuff. Robinhood rolls in and that just opened the door to being able to invest even on a very small scale for everyone, even those people who only have, you know, $20 a paycheck that they can afford. If you could only afford, if you couldn't afford at least $500 a paycheck, it was almost not worth buying stocks because you're just going to pay so much upfront in commissions that it's, you're just going to lose it. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that about, about Robinhood. And I think that Bitcoin does the same thing. It gives people access to an asset. And if you want to think about like digital real estate or digital gold uh, for, for the purpose of this analogy, I think it gives you access to that without having to have hundreds or thousands of dollars in order to like, I mean, you want to get into real estate, right? Real estate is, is by far the most tried and true method to generate family wealth. Mm-hmm. But how many people can just go out and buy a spare house? Not many. Yeah. How many people can go out and buy a spare couple hundred Satoshis? Everyone. Mm-hmm. So I mean, almost everyone. Big time. So, so I really like that. And, and I, I like to think that once that catches on, it'll enable people to start helping themselves in that way by giving them tools that they don't have access to right now. Yeah. And it kind of connects back to what you're saying of uh, like the, the Bitcoin network is structured in a way where uh, a lot of people can benefit some, not necessarily equally, but in terms of they all benefit from the value appreciation of Bitcoin in general, where like for real estate, right? Where let's say in both you have real estate and Bitcoin and, and BlackRock, obviously now potentially playing in both of those. And if BlackRock buys up a bunch of real estate, people that, like you said, don't have the ability to save up $150,000 for a down payment on something, don't get the benefit of real estate appreciating rapidly. But if I'm buying $10 a week on Robinhood and Bitcoin and all these institutions start buying up in the hundreds of millions because they can, at least I still benefit from that because I was able to at least to play a little bit, right? And 
right. at that point, BlackRock is funding your investment, which is awesome. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think Jack Mallers put it in a cool way once where he's kind of saying that of like, we benefit the same, you know, the, he's talking about El Salvador, I think when he's talking about it, but like this kid he met in El Salvador that was just buying Bitcoin, he benefits the same like percentage wise that Michael Saylor with MicroStrategy does when Bitcoin goes up, right? Obviously the actual nominal difference might be huge, but percentage wise we benefit the same. And also that's going to benefit probably the person in El Salvador a lot more than maybe Michael or Michael Saylor, who's already a billionaire, right? But maybe a 10% growth in his money that month is going to help that person in El Salvador tremendously, right? So, but I think it's, for a lot of people, it's not even being able to necessarily get to that point, right? Of like really being able to think and wrestle with Bitcoin in that kind of way. Um, but hopefully soon, I think it's just like a matter of like these reality checks to come in, hopefully for people to, to, to be able to look around and like, be like, okay, what's going on in our day and age? Maybe isn't like, there's maybe some things that are like very strange and are happening a little bit more rapidly, but uh, yeah, hopefully it changes soon. All right. I got kind of a fun question for you. Yeah. If you had a magic wand and you could change anything in your land of, of profession, real estate or Bitcoin, I'll let you pick. What would it be and why? Hmm. That's a really good question. I might start with, I guess both kind of work in the same way. And I love all the people I work with, so I don't mean this like necessarily as like a slight to them, but uh, I would change, I guess, like if I had the ability to like magic wand, I could change literally everything, anything or anything at once. I think I would turn like all of our framings of, I guess, like that learning process. Cause I'm going through it right now, actually myself, cause like I was telling you before we recorded, I'm starting to learn to like, or teach myself how to program. So another like self-learning journey, which like is what Bitcoin is, which is like what real estate is. And especially even my job, basically I like have to teach realtors how to use different technologies. And I just like come across all the time, just kind of that idea, even within myself of just like that idea of uh, all those doubts that creep in when you're trying to learn something new. And like anytime you approach something you don't know, all those like demons will come up and the failures will come up. And it's just like really embarrassing to like have to admit that oh, wow, like I have some weak abilities in math here, or maybe I'm a little bit lazy here, right? So basically, like, if I could just turn everyone's brain on to that idea of learning and the process of learning and incremental growth being like the most beautiful thing that we can like experience as people. And that's where like, enjoyment of life, I think, to me comes from. Because uh, I think like, if we could all like, in myself included, in a lot of areas of life, like see that as like, have that be just like my base brain, and the people around me's base brain because I like see in my real estate work how often like people that I work with like how much of that is just limiting them from just being able to kind of like experience failure whether it's like a hardware wallet where it took me just like failing through this cold card and like having to go to Best Buy three times in a day because I bought the wrong micro SD card and have to look at what a micro SD card was and I think that's something that maybe like a lot of people that because. I think it's easy because I grew up with like computers and all these things. People just assume it's like always that way. And I'm sure like, you know, most of the time it's not like you have to just like sit there and play around with things and fail through it a bunch of times. But um, yeah, I've always kind of thought that was like the big thing holding most of us back. But I guess that's not necessarily like a very like technical thing that I would change. But I think that's, that's something I think I'm passionate about for sure. No, I like that. I, yeah. I wish uh, I know it's tough for myself included, definitely for myself. Cause I don't, not great at change, but if, if you can't live in discomfort, then it's very hard to grow. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's very uncomfortable for people, obviously. Um, but you have to learn how to embrace that in order to develop. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter if that's with education or physical development or anything, like everything is pain mm -hmm. and you have to embrace that pain in order to get to the other side. It's true. That's what's weird. There are always like these two parts of us. There's the part that knows that to be true. But then there's still that part that just like is terrified of it, you know? Yeah. Or it's like, like I have it with my job still of like reaching out to people I don't know. Right. And I'm like, if I know if I do that, I'm going to get good at it and comfortable with it. But it's just like that part of being embarrassed or whatever it is that just like is so brutal to deal with, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel the same way just doing these podcasts or whatever. I'm sitting here in a room by myself talking to a microphone and I'm like nervous. It's ridiculous. It's so I mean, That's why I was so glad that like you and I got to have this. So you know, this is my first 
like real interview. Yeah. Um, and I'm super stoked about it because you and I have a personal relationship and it's mm -hmm. just easy and you're super easy to talk to. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Of course, man. Uh, all right. So my next two questions are kind of related. Uh, they're about vision. So what's something that you see that other people aren't paying enough attention to? And again, Bitcoin or real estate. I'm happy to talk about either one of them. Mm. Damn, that's a really good question. So something that I'm seeing that other people aren't paying attention to. I might have to think about this one for a little bit. So we might have to do some post-editing of okay. the, the yeah, no worries. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's, uh, okay. it's, it's the same question, but kind of in reverse. Mm -hmm. It's what blind spots do you have or have you had in the past that you had to overcome? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good one too. Well, I think it kind of relates to like what we were talking about is like realizing, and I guess that does connect back to Bitcoin in a cool way because that's what led me to Bitcoin. Um, it was that blind spot of not realizing like how much I was kind of protecting myself from like putting myself out there in different situations. So, and I guess a lot of times I just kind of explained it away as like, oh, it's just how I am. Right. And like, I think that's easy to do with like, oh, I'm just not tech, like tech savvy or I'm just not good at math with all those things. And I remember I realized I just had a ton of those and it was kind of this like hard moment of just like, oh, this is kind of gross. I have all these like really self-defeating like mental models of myself. And I remember kind of going through this process of uh, just kind of like exploring all these different things. Like I was terrified of public speaking. So I took this public speaking course, for example, and that was actually where I ran into the guy that had that Bitcoin meetup that I was able to kind of connect with and that helped me get down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Um, so I think that's like a big blind spot of me, but I think it's also something that like, even with Bitcoin sometimes impacted me in not the best way where I was able to like, have to like look into myself and be like, okay, am I applying that same like protective mentality of like not wanting to like have to admit certain things to myself with something like Bitcoin, right? Am, am I like being closed-minded with, Ethereum's and Cardano's and all these things, just because I'm already so heavily invested in this Bitcoin thing, not only like financially, but personality wise. And it's like a belief set that I've like adopted and like continue to like strengthen each day. And so am I just like looking for the bad things in these other projects? And am I hiding myself from like admitting certain things about Bitcoin's history that might not be the best things if I like projected those as well? Right. So um, I think that was a big thing of like, growth for me, for sure. Like, I guess we're talking about that same thing as before, but did connect to Bitcoin in a cool way. But also I think it's so important, even like for people within Bitcoin, because I do think that is like a tendency with people with Bitcoin where like, I think it does have the ability to help a lot of different areas of life. So because of that, it kind of gets like lofted up as this like idol, almost like this un uh, like infallible force almost. But I think it's important to also like be able to critique it and still love it at the same time. All right. So the next question is kind of related and it's more for me personally, because it's something that I've been asking myself a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And we, we briefly touched on before we started recording on like workload and, you know, life balance and like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So uh, the question is about ambition and about like moving the goalposts, which is mm -hmm. a thing I always do. Mm -hmm. Every time I accomplish a goal, like I set a new one and I've always viewed this as a pro because it keeps me passionate, it keeps me driven, it keeps me focused. Mm -hmm. And I I guess I'm kind of afraid of the idea of like being done uh, yeah. and like then what? And, you know, so even with, you know, talking about things like retirement, like early retirement, you know, if, if I end up in a space where I'm able to do that, like I don't want to use the word retirement anymore because it implies that you just like wait to get old. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the question is, for you, or if you have advice for me, like when is enough? Like what feels like enough? Like, can we reach enough? Should we reach enough? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How do you balance your ambition and your purpose with your like risk of stagnation? Yeah. That's something that like uh, my girlfriend would like love to hear that I'm answering this question because that's probably like my, I'll send her the link. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably like my biggest struggle is like that inability to like, take stock of like where like I've come from, I think is the biggest thing because I think it is important to like never feel like, okay, I'm good kind of thing. 
but not like in this self-loathing way of like, I am like failing in all these different areas, but realize like, it's kind of this, like you said, delicate balance between like, I'm enough, but also not enough at the same time. Like I'm enough in the, the fact that I'm a human being and I have like dignity and worth and value just being alive and should like have, you know, be able to respect other people and vice versa. But also like there are areas of myself that like, I'm not living up to a certain standard that I can admit I've created for myself, right? Because no one, I'm like, no one's created a standard for me, but realizing like I've looked up to people in my life and be like, oh, wow, those are traits that I really admire in him. I want to adopt those, right? Or in her and I want to adopt those traits. And, um, and I think those are beautiful things to be able to like look out at the world and see like reflections of like what we can see in ourselves and be able to like strive to be those. So I think like what I've started to realize just even like the last couple of weeks is like that necessary step to appreciate like the the change of where you've come from like i think one was uh like yoga i got really into stretching because my whole life i've just like been that person where i was like oh i'm just not flexible i couldn't like even touch my toes or anything like that uh and then i started stretching consistently and like small incremental growth but all of a sudden now really flexible or whatever it is and the same with like programming and i'm getting a little bit better but it's so easy just to focus on like where i'm not doing well right now instead of taking the time to like step out of that and be like, Oh wow. I remember like initially where like this was like brutal for me and now I don't have to even think about that and like appreciate how like beautiful our brains are that they like can just do this stuff for us and trust that process continuously that it's always there. It's just kind of like hidden behind these like difficult initial phases or whatever it is. But just as like how, great our brain is at being able to kind of propel us in these cool directions it's just as capable of just making us miserable so i think that's kind of the important step is like realizing what form of thinking is going to like benefit me and being able to continue growing the positive direction but not just like make me a really successful and capable miserable person because then what's the point of doing any of the things i'm doing if i'm just stressed and miserable all the time like i'm not gonna just like be 80 and look back and just be like, Oh, well, at least I like was good at these things, but I was just like a miserable jerk to all these people around me. So I think I kind of view it where it's like, if I'm, if I'm not necessarily ecstatic and happy all the time, but if I'm like in the state of being like, okay, all those other things that I want to happen will happen as a result of that. I like it. All right. I know you got to go here soon. So I'll wrap up with just the last couple of questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got, let me, let me, let me, let me pick one of my favorites. Nice. And I'll have to get back to you about that visual and I might even send in a, an answer via email because uh, okay. that's a really good one. Okay. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do a, a little bit of a fun one. Do you have any hidden talents, secret skills or other fun <laughs> facts to share about yourself? I guess, uh, I guess one that, uh, I like now is cause I do jujitsu. I think that's something that like most people, don't know about that. I think it's something I love. Like I really love a lot. I guess I've always been like really good with like physical things. I grew up playing sports. So, um, and I think now I kind of just like look like more just like clean cut and I'm not like, in like the shape, like football shape that I was when I was playing football and stuff growing up. So, um, I think that's one I really enjoy because like even in jujitsu, I think people think, and I, I do enjoy being like, obviously just kind of like relaxed and nice to people and stuff like that, but kind of have this like inner, I guess asshole that can come out in a way, but or like competitive spirit, you know? So I think that's like a hidden talent of mine being able to like flip that switch and uh, like all of us have it. Right. But uh, I think jujitsu is one that I've like really do- like uh, gone into pretty heavily the last year and a half. And that's been uh, awesome because it's like been the most like rewarding and humbling experience of my life at the same time has made me respect a lot of people in different ways because just, just get like, your ass kicked over and over. Yeah. <laughs> and by people that like before jujitsu, if I would have seen the guy, I'd have been like, Oh, like I could probably take him, but like, he just like would work me for five minutes, but even like girls too. Like, like I still to this day get tapped out by girls that are like shorter than me and like not as strong as me. And I think like you really get this beautiful appreciation for like, wow, everybody is capable to be like this, like really badass person. I think that's what like Bitcoin teaches us too. It's like everyone is capable to like be sovereign and responsible and take control of their own lives. And as a result, that benefits everybody. When we all take control of ourselves, that's the most powerful thing we can do. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it is kind of, that's probably the hidden skill that I value the most right now. Yeah. Your, your brain and my brain do the same thing. We can be talking about anything and then our brain goes back to, so, okay. So today I'm at work (laughs) and I find this can it's a, it's an old soda can. It says squirt on, I don't know if you can see that. Mm -hmm. It's one of those pop tops. 
it's probably like 50 years old or whatever. And uh, I find it and I'm like, you know, it's, it's 40, 50 years old. You know, this is 40 or 50 years old. The current monetary system, the <laughs> monetary, and I just start like rambling in my brain about how like the system hasn't been around that long. Why are people so afraid of like going back to a hard money standard? We've been doing yeah. this for five thousand <laughs> years, and all of a sudden now it's some crackpot idea. What's going on? And like mm-hmm. my brain just starts rattling. Everything, yep. everything just leaves me. Yeah, that's that's how you know we're degenerates. Big time. I think that's like the thing I had to like start turning off a bit more was like with Bitcoin, I was so good at being able to like in conversations, finding like the the point where someone would bring something up and I could find a way where Bitcoin could fit that. Yeah, and, I've, I've had to yeah. dial it back too, yep. Mm-hmm. You have to. And then you, it's better because then when people come to you, it's not because they're just like tired of hearing you and they just like want you to just like talk it out. They're genuinely like trying to like yeah. ask questions. Yeah. I've, uh, there's been a couple of times where the missus has been like, all right, we're going to see these people. I need you to reel it in a little bit. Like you can't just talk about Bitcoin the whole time. Talk about other stuff. You're smart. You can talk about other things. I'm like, yeah. I have to. <laughs> yeah, big time. Um, all right. Uh, last question. I'll let you go. How about, oh, I lied. Two questions. Okay. What is your favorite or most important book to share with other people? Like any book? Any book? Man. I guess the one that has impacted me the most uh, was this book called Why Buddhism is True. And it's not necessarily a like a Buddhism pitch, but it was this book that was really cool because it kind of talks about all the things that I guess in the past like 15 minutes we've been talking about of kind of like those blind spots and whatnot because and the goalpost thing. Because it really does a good job of, I guess, like explaining uh, and kind of, I guess, to backtrack a little bit. It's this book that talks about uh, the philosophy of Buddhism and how it connects like evolutionary psychology and neuroscience. It does like such a cool job of breaking down like our brains, the way they're structured and why the way we think or or why we think the way that we do think. Um, And showing like obviously how Buddhism kind of talked about that, like stoicism or whatever philosophy that you might pick in that regard. Uh, but it was really cool because it kind of like helped me in being able to actually like look at my day-to-day way of thinking and seeing how it was hurting myself and other people around me and stopping me from living like the life that I wanted to live and realizing like how much of my own life was just a product of just thinking poorly about situations or myself or whatever it is. Uh, and so that was a really cool book because it kind of just like ripped the mask off on you know a lot of the ways in which we think in general. Um, so it's kind of like, my uh there's a similar book to like the bitcoin standard in a way right where it's one of those books that just like rips it all off the band-aid off and it's just like sometimes there's some painful stuff in those in those books that can uh impact you but uh i loved it it was really cool i've read it a bunch of times so that book and like 12 rules for life i think is always a good one jordan peterson's book i think was probably the first book that really started me on this journey of like trying to incrementally you know improve parts of my life Oh, nice. I haven't read either of those books, but I will uh, definitely pick them both up. I love Yeah, them. I love that one. Love it's reading. not like, I think people are Buddhism and they're just like, oh, okay, it's like this religious book, but it's mostly, it's like really like an evolutionary psychology neuroscience book. And uh, I think for me, because you're, you're talking about like vision um, earlier, I guess that would be like, that was the kind of initial thought I had of like, that's an area I think that I've really got, I really enjoy a lot and like thinking of like how important and most people already know this, right? Like how important our mind is, but really seeing it like in the super micro sense of these like micro thoughts that we're just like not realizing are these like kind of automatic ways of thinking that are just like habit at this point. And like you said, like why, why is it so hard for people to like shift out of this 50 year old financial system? Because it's just become such a habit at this point and it's just easier to just keep doing it. Right. I think it's a big thing. I like it. All right. For the last one, what advice do you have for people who are just starting out, whether they're starting in real estate, Bitcoin, or just starting out in life, starting a new adventure, whatever, whatever it is? Hmm. I would say, uh, I guess like from where I am now, because I think it's like where I said, I'm teaching myself to program. So I'm kind of in it right now. Um, I think the advice I try to give myself to like get through it is like be comfortable with not knowing the timeline that it's going to take and it, that it probably will take longer than you think it's going to take. Because at least for me, I tend to pride myself on being able just to like pick up stuff up really quick and learn it. But a lot of different areas that are really important, like even real estate for me, 
It's not necessarily something I can pick up really quick. It's something that is going to take a lot of time because most of it is just like exposure. Um, and you can't really force exposure. A lot of it is just going to come when you don't expect it. So it's, it's trusting that as long as I just keep showing up and just like cracking at it, eventually some things that didn't make sense will make sense for me. Um, and things that maybe like that confused me you know, months ago are all of a sudden going to click in really cool ways that I couldn't even think of. And I think that was something with Bitcoin that was really cool was just being able to like watch these YouTube videos about uh, mining or like the hashing part of Bitcoin. And I watched like the same video like 10 times and I was just like, what are they saying? This is like ridiculous and having to like write stuff down and all these things, but just trust that even if I walk away from it, my brain in the background is like putting the pieces together for me. And as long as like I just keep going and keep going, eventually it's going to like make sense. And maybe even this thing that, you know, I experience in a different part of life is going to come in and, and connect in a really cool way. But uh, yeah, I guess not trying to like force my timeline onto this process, but which is very easier said than done because especially like I think I've realized and I'm, as I'm getting older, or as I'm aging, I start to realize that I do feel like this like time pressure in a way. And it feels like my time to like really dedicate long processes decreases, right? Or like it feels like, oh God, if I spend like a year learning about this thing and it doesn't turn into something, then I've just wasted a year, right? And maybe that's a year I could have spent on something more fruitful, you know? And I think that's something that, um, so I think that's, I guess, another thing is like really like take a hard look at like, okay, is this something worth putting a lot of time in? Because I guess I do believe that we can all get good at pretty much anything as long as we like dedicate the time to, but realizing what are some things to dedicate a lot of time to is like another thing. So yeah, I guess that's probably the the big thing. I don't know. I think I probably just rambled a bunch, but. No, I like that. I like that a lot. One of the things that, that I say often, uh, at least, you know, to my kids, um, and it's not a very popular thing to say, but whatever, is that, you know, everyone always tells you to chase your dreams. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you're doing what you love, then you're never working a day in your life. All that, all that nonsense. <laughs> it's not nonsense. It's beautiful, but <laughs> that's not how the world works. Yeah, so true. everyone grows up and, you know, when you're 12, you, you want to chase your dreams. When you're six, you want to be an astronaut or a firefighter yeah. or a ballerina <laughs> or whatever. Right. Uh, but you don't grow up and do that because, you know, when you're an adult, you have bills and you have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So you end up just doing kind of what's available, what you're good at. And most people do that their whole lives. And, you know, a little bit of my why is I want people to understand sound money and Austrian economics and real estate specifically because those are the best tools that you're going to get in this world to be financially independent. And once you establish financial independence, if you start learning about real estate and Bitcoin and you're 16 right now, by the time you're 25, you will be financially independent. Mm -hmm. And then you can chase your dream for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about deadlines. You don't have to worry about wasting a year. You don't have to worry about any of that. All the stuff that you just said, mm -hmm. you, if, if you can put yourself in a position where you don't have to worry about your bills, you don't have to worry about your life situation because you handle it up front, then, uh, and I'm not sitting here trying to tell people, you know, if you want to go be an athlete or an artist or, or and there's so many, so many talented jobs that you kind of have to do when you're young. I'm not telling you not to chase those dreams. It's just, that just doesn't apply to like 95% of people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I personally, you know, I got a late start. I didn't start thinking about this stuff until I was, you know, 30 ish. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that, you know, 10, 15 years, I'll be able to accomplish these goals and then, you know, have a, a relaxing, you know, last couple decades of my life. But I mean, if I can teach my kids to do that now and they can, they can get that figured out, you know, in their twenties, Oh, what, what better gift could I give to them and to everyone? So that's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to, trying to make happen. I love it, man. That's amazing. I think that's, what's cool too, is like all the resources, are, like the resources have never been, more abundant to like do all of those things, right? Where if anyone is like serious enough about it, all it takes is a, like six months of like online study of yourself and just whether it's real estate, there's just like content galore, which is also kind of the tough part to you because then it's like actually sourcing like, okay, what is valuable and what is just kind of noise? Right? Yeah, it's tough to filter through it sometimes for sure. Big time, which I think is why it's cool. Like with you, like in having the infinity groups and being able to like 
be this like signal within the noise because it's easy for people to just go on YouTube and Oh, what a the, great plug. Yeah. I'm always good with the plugs, man. A subtle plug. <laughs> but like it's easy, right? To go on like YouTube and type in crypto and you see the guys that make those like absurd faces and say like Bitcoin to 300,000 tomorrow morning, you know, buy this, buy it now. Um, uh, but yeah, don't believe the hype with most things. And I think that's what's like cool about I think Bitcoin, like you too, I think you have like that kind of like, uh, you're not, it's not always going to be pretty like what you say, right? But it's going to be better for you to like hear it kind of thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate I appreciate someone being genuine over someone being nice any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like that. nice too, don't get me wrong, but yeah. But genuine and nice, I think is a combo. Like, I think that's, yeah, because like if someone's just nice to you and they're just telling you what you think, they're actually like hurting you, you know, in the long run. At least that's what I think. But. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I will let you go. I know you have things to do, but I really appreciate you taking some of your time out of your day for me. And uh, I enjoyed this conversation as I always do. Me too, man. This is awesome. And I'm happy to like do this again if you ever want to catch up again. And if you're looking for podcast material and you want to talk about just random Bitcoin topics and topics like this, like I, I love talking to you, man. I really do. I've always like, from our first Zoom convo we had where we were talking there for like an hour and a half. And I remember talking to my girlfriend after that. And I was like, that was sick. Like that was someone where just like, I feel like we just like had the same brain and we we're just like on the same wavelength and just like back and forth for each other for like an hour and a half. And I thought that absolutely. was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely would love to do that. Maybe next time some big news comes out in a couple weeks, couple days, who knows when it could be tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'll just text you. It'll be good. For sure, man. We'll yeah. do it. All right. Well, tell the missus I said hi. And uh, whenever you guys come to town, definitely hit us up. We'll go do a double date, get dinner or something. That sounds great, man. I'm looking forward to it. All right. You have a good night. Later, Patrick.